Welcome to the Holistic Pharmacy Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Marina Buxov, holistic health coach, clinical herbalist, and functional medicine pharmacist, or just holistic pharmacist for short. Whether you're a healthcare professional helping to support the health of your clients or going through your personal healing journey, I believe you will find yourself right at home with this podcast. My co-hosts and I will be merging the scientific with the holistic all season long, as well as sharing stories that will touch your heart and challenge your mind. Hello, dear listeners. I'm so excited to share this next episode with you, diving into the journey of one psychology majoring basketball player turned brilliant market researcher turned pharmacy performance coach. Tyson Clark has studied the highest performers in several industries to come up with a customized approach to help independent pharmacies serve their patients' needs with an integrative approach while creating revenue streams to drive their business forward. Tyson started his career in elite sport and was dismayed with how scarce effective training was present in the corporate world. Through working in Australian community pharmacy and being more committed to results than positive feedback, he's created a tool for effective distribution of culturally sensitive intelligence, Voiceta, a speech-operated platform to train social skills in the same manner an elite athlete would. He's currently excited about changing the cultural landscape by helping people tell the truth and gain communication skills with this extremely effective assertiveness training. Connect and train with Tyson at motherofskill.com. So without further ado, let's welcome him to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Holistic Pharmacy Podcast. I have a very special guest with me today on the show. His name is Tyson Clark, and he's a pharmacy coach and business advisor. So welcome to the show, Tyson. Thank you for having me, Marina. It's great. Yeah, it's my pleasure. So what I usually like to ask first is a little bit of a background on where you grew up and what inspired you to... Uh, become a pharmacy coach. I assume there's a lot of steps in between. So let's just start with where you grew up and what you studied at school and what was your first job out of school? All right. So I was born and raised in uh, Cairns in far north Queensland, Australia. Um, and I, my first job out of school, I played basketball. And so I was a... Um, I, I sold shoes. I was a retail. I was in retail shoe sales for a business called Amart, and then on to Sportsco in my shoe selling career. Um, and then I studied psychology at uh, university. Did I get? Did I get those three? Is that was that was the three, right? Yes. Yes, I think you hit all of that. So, can you walk us through? You know what um, made you pursue that first job or, you know, what you were inspired by when you were growing up, what maybe by your family or anything else that made you take those steps? That's a good question. Um, a sort of common theme throughout my professional life is, um, I guess, pretty well summarized with, between my mom and dad. My mom is a teacher and my dad is a mechanic. And my dad does things that work. If it, <laughs> if it doesn't work, then he doesn't do it. 
And my mom is uh, compassionate and sort of more of the intellectual side of things. Um, and my dad's the very pragmatic. So I, I kind of, that, that, that sort of uh, focus between those two archetypes, I guess, has been a constant throughout and particularly pertains to my career in, in, in pharmacy, but also basically everywhere else that I've done. I do a lot of things right now. I'm really passionate about uh, community and um, the same, I take the same approach, um, sort of balancing those two personalities. Awesome. So now tell us about your kind of professional arch, your journey, you know, where did your first job lead you? What skills did you pick up? And how did you progress to what you're currently doing today? Okay, so in the late 1990s, uh, I moved to the US or it might've been the year 2000. I had a basketball scholarship um, to study and, and play over here. You can't get athletic scholarships in Australia still, I believe. Um, so you're either upsetting your coach or you're upsetting your professors. Um, so it's very hard to juggle both. But in, in the US, it's, it's really great if you want, if that's the kind of career path you want to follow. So I managed to secure that. Um, and then I studied psychology and philosophy at Viterbo University in Wisconsin. Uh, and then when I went, I graduated, moved back to Australia, I worked in corporate cultural change using my degree to do coaching uh, with business owners. And um, I worked with some really, really cool intellectual property that I still work with today. And didn't really kick any goals in that respect until uh, I came into pharmacy and I did some some coaching um, with with an old client and discovered that you know there's this there's a system that the business system was geared towards and then the the, the sort of cultural system and the intelligences that the culture embodied and there are some misalignment between those two systems and so we bridged that gap with some basic stuff, really basic stuff, nothing, nothing fancy. Um, and we, we really kicked some goals there. So that was, that was our first sort of, um, our big swing, uh, and connect there with, with voice that we were able to take the highest performers in pharmacy and then distribute that throughout 150 staff, uh, in an efficient way using, using what they were already doing that was already working in the field, but uh, it, with a different, a different kind of system. So did you say the majors were psychology and philosophy? Yeah, yeah. I, my first love is philosophy. It always has been. Um, it's not particularly pragmatic though. Right. Um, I wish people would pay me to sit around and think deep thoughts, but I've actually got to do things. So, which is, Terribly unfortunate, but it's just <laughs> life. So yeah, I, I moved into psychology, which is the <laughs> which is the smallest step from philosophy you could take, I think. Um, but it, it's always been psychology has been a passion of mine. Um, it has its limitations um, and shortcomings, but it is it is always interesting and um, and very helpful uh, in in understanding a bunch of different um, psychological theories. 
that's been really, really useful to me. Yeah. So could you tell us how that served you in your profession? So it seems like you jumped straight into coaching and business advisor, right? Um, And your first client was a pharmacy, as I take it? Oh, no, no, no. I I skipped probably about nine years in that. Oh, you skipped nine years. Okay. so And I traveled internationally twice and um, and went on a bunch of uh, different adventures and stuff. (laughs) So, no, it, it was it was really hard actually to come out of university and act like I had my stuff together with a bunch of really successful business people because I really didn't and it, it felt quite fraudulent actually so yeah I kind of got scared away from that industry even though it was sort of it was probably the right move because intellectually I could I, I knew what was going on but I didn't have the wisdom um, and I felt um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't listen to me mm-hmm. put it that way. Like if I, if I was selling my services and I, I wouldn't be the guy listening to me, I could still sell them. Like I was still making um, money, but it just felt fraudulent and I needed to get more towards the rubber hitting the road. Um, so yeah, uh, after, after I got out of university, I, I did the consulting thing, I think for a year or two, then I moved into buying Real estate. My family's done real estate. My uh, I've always done real estate. Still do real estate. Um, and then uh, I did some jobs in in retail. And the same thing always happened. I try to optimize what's working. Um, I find out who's the highest performer, and I just stay on the phone with them long enough and try and charm them long enough to squeeze some intelligence out of them. Um, I find that most of the time, the really competent people, they, it's like when you train somebody new, you know, like, Mm -hmm. you know, it it is so much information that you have to dump on them that you really don't know where to start. And you can't explain why you're so good at what you do. But if you talk to enough people that are high performers, you start to recognize the similarities. Um, Quick story, when I was, when I was working in cellular, um, in this town, like 10 years ago, 11 years ago. And where are um, you now? I'm in um, uh, Black River Falls, Wisconsin. So okay. um, we had a list every day. We had the KPIs, the key performance indicators of everybody on an Excel spreadsheet. And I, I hated being in the middle. I'm like, why are we not at the top? And I asked my manager and he's like, well, I don't know. Why don't they tell me? And so I said, okay. I started calling the high performers. And they could never tell you, like they're never going to give you the key because they just don't know. Um, and then I happened upon upon a gentleman and he said, I said, why are you guys so much, why are your KPIs so much better than ours every day? And he says, well, it's because I run the movie theater here and everybody knows me from the movie theater. And so it's really nothing to do with you. You're not doing anything wrong. Um, it's just a situation that I'm in that, allows me to blah, blah, blah. And so I said, well, it just so happens that I run the movie theater here too. I'm the, I, cause I did, I ran the movie theater wow. across the street and I was like, and my numbers aren't like yours. So we sat on the phone for a good 15, 20 minutes talking about, you know, selling cell phones and, and, um, and movie theaters and all this good stuff. And just as we're about to get off the phone, he says, oh, actually, there is one thing that might help. It's 
we would all get the same um, marketing material, the little pamphlets and flyers and stuff that you put next to the phones. He would add to that. So there was a bigger bundle, you know, you get another uh-huh. accessory in that bundle and he would add to that. And it was a really cheap, useful product that the, that the clients needed and, and weren't, you know, weren't fussed about paying for. And that was it. That was, we did that and our numbers kicked up overnight because just because I stayed on the phone long enough, um, but he wasn't, he wasn't maliciously holding out information on me and none of these people ever are. They just, it just does not occur to them because it's what they call um, unconsciously competent. They don't know why they're good. They're just good. And so if you can stick on the phone with them long enough, then you can usually figure out the secret. And that's, that's basically what I do. I, I, I buy in, I, I dig for intelligence and I sell it to everybody else. Yeah. So it sounds like a key component of your work is um, kind of conducting market research and also creating interpersonal relationships within that. Um, so it really, it, you know, people, business is all about people, right? The people make the business and just making those connections and those conversations is allowing you to conduct your market research and figure out what is making these people perform well. Yeah, it's a, it's, I guess you could call it intelligence arbitrage. I'm taking <laughs> intelligence from over here and I'm putting it in a place that it belongs elsewhere. And um, through our, you know, through our software, we've been able to do that. Now, I was always really interested in doing that as effectively as possible because I could, I could train you, Marina, to do a certain thing, and we could, I could be really militant in our training, and I could make sure that you and I are doing it every day for five minutes a day, and you know, in a month, you'll be a rock star, at whatever it is that I'm trying to train you in. Uh, but I can only do one at a time, so. That, that is limiting when you've got 150 staff or you know, you, you're trying to change an industry or influence chronic disease. Um, so I figured if we could, you know, if we could just figure out um, how to transfer in t- the intelligence of speaking to people in a specific way that is very sensitive to the culture that we're doing it in, um, then then we might be able to make a dent in the universe when it comes to uh, chronic disease. And that, that cultural sensitivity part was really important. I figured out very quickly in pharmacy due to a catastrophic failure right away. <laughs> <laughs> That's usually the best and biggest teacher when you fail, right? Yeah. Um, but I like to think of it as failing forward because yeah. if you don't win, you learn. Uh, that's what one of my coaches taught me. So I think that's a really good outlook on things, right? Um, because failure is not final, you know? And so you can just... It is if you on. give up. Yeah, it yeah. If you give up, it is. Exactly. So if you let it be final, but that's in your hands, you know? Because if you get up seven, you know, fall seven times and get up eight times, that's already a win. So I would really like to connect the dots between how you majored in two seemingly, you know, unrelated to business topics, psychology and philosophy, right? And how you are now serving as a business advisor uh, and a market researcher. So how did you develop those skills 
out of your major, did you have any additional training or just was it organic through evolution in your role, different roles? And then how you are now utilizing it and serving the pharmacy industry and like really where that passion came to make a dent in the chronic disease, as you stated. Yeah, well, that's a good question. I, I think it's important to start with um, the sort of field that I'm playing in, and that is um, like, you know, I play in a field of uh, characters and with and all the characters have their different forms of intelligence. And um, when you work in a very uniform um, sort of, I guess it is, it's a very uniform industry. Like if you went and you talked to um, a thousand um, floor sanders, like guys who, well, people who professionally sand floors, they're going to have a, a varying degree of intelligences and life circumstances. Um, but when it comes to pharmacy, it's really uh, a, a very narrow set of intelligences that separate a lot of people. You can't have, you've got to have, at the very least, you've got to have excellent memory recall, okay? Excellent, because you've got to play with um, a lot of variables and they've always, you've always got to have that on hand to play with another variable. Um, you've got to have a lot of conceptual uh, understanding of those things because you can't see a molecule and how it's interacting with another thing. You've just got to remember and imagine that. And then you've got to have protocol. You've got to be very, very stringent in protocol. So um, because if you don't follow protocol in health, then people die. It's not super um, adventurous. So you've got to have those three intelligences. And so if we imagine that, like, um, I, I understand this, like, th this is generalizing, of course, because pharmacists have a range of different lives and, and lifestyles and, and intelligences, but at a bare minimum, they need that. So you're separating a lot of characters. But if I can solve, if I can solve the problems within that range of characters, uh, then I can solve a lot of problems, right? Because, because the range is so small. Mm -hmm. um, so my background in sports and my back, my introduction. So I was, you know, I was playing basketball and studying psychology. And then I came into the field. I came into um, commerce and, and corporate cultural change. It was really quite jarring because you guys don't train. They <laughs> <laughs> don't train like I did. Like if I wanted to work on my jump shot or if a team wanted to get better at a certain thing, we practice it for hours and hours and hours, and then we'd have a game where with business, your game is every day. So there's no sort of, and you don't have the time or the money to do all this off-court off court training. And so that was quite jarring. I didn't realize how little training actually went into it. And I saw the training that was happening. I'm like, this isn't going to work. Like if you sit me in a room and you have me watch a PowerPoint one time, like, that's not going to create any behavioral change. I'm not going to gain any skills by doing that, but that's what we still do. <laughs> that's what we still do. So I sort of looked at it as intellectual um, entertainment training. Most of the time is just, it's, 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 it's entertainment. Um, and that's, that's a lot of what I was selling in, in corporate culture and change. So if you combine that, right, this sort of jarring 
understanding of um, of training and under uh, a, a sort of a few years of, of studying and understanding and appreciating cultural intelligence and individual intelligence and character um, and how to use those and, and take those intelligences and put them elsewhere and then let overlay that again onto a very narrow range I figured if I could combine those things together um, I'd be able to really make some moves and really help you know chronic disease uh, particularly with pharmacy because of the massive massive amount of natural migration to pharmacy I think I think that is something I just said to a doctor recently, I had my 40 year checkup and I was like, you see a patient three times a year, man. Pharmacists will see them 12, 14, 16 times, depending on the patient. And they're the people that we need to see, you know, in high repetition. So this is the, I think pharmacy is the, the golden goose to, and the people, right? The people in pharmacy uh, the golden goose to curb chronic disease in a big, big way, just through some training of, of um, you know, more, I guess, intimate um, health interventions. Yeah, you're right. We're very high touch point um, place, right, where we intersect with patients on the daily. And so there is that opportunity to make an impact right there. Um, so what, it sounds like to me that you are really driven by wanting to improve upon existing systems and finding like really, you know, direct shortcuts and ways to, you know, cut through the noise and implement beneficial changes. So like, how did you develop that skill of noticing, you know, what is wrong, what can be fixed, what's the, you know, fastest way to, to fix or um, improve something, you know, and why do you choose to apply that to the chronic disease um, interventions? You know, is there a reason why that is drawing you and motivating you and that's what you do now? The chronic disease thing just I didn't have that I wasn't drawn to pharmacy um, for that reason. <clears throat> I was drawn to pharmacy for money <laughs> um, because I I needed money and I um, I sold a, a training package. Um, and as to as for the skill or the um, you know where did I learn to work with systems? I don't know that one. That I couldn't tell you. I probably just been naturally drawn to systems. I, I'm more naturally drawn to systems than I am to pharmacy and I happened to land in pharmacy. But I also saw, you know, the previous mentioned variables um, about, you know, natural migration within pharmacy, a very uniform intelligence profile um, and, you know, the, the swapping of intelligences um, from businesses. I, I saw that yeah, uh, but yeah, my, my love is, uh, is systems. So I, I just naturally see the system. I'm interested in systems and um, having them play together is really interesting. Like the business systems, your point of sale system, um, the, the business's goals, and then the cultural system, the set of intelligences between the front of shop or your clerks and the pharmacists themselves. That's really colorful and interesting to me. And I think that might be like, you know, if you want to, 
you could you could chalk it up to uh, growing up in two different countries, um, Australia and the US, very similar. But because they're so similar, I, I'm sort of hyper-focused on the very subtle nuances mm-hmm. uh, between the cultures. For, for example, Australia's culture is not so, um, not as, the US culture is, is much more compliant. Uh, sorry, the, the Australian culture is much more compliant and the US culture is much more independent. And it could be because we didn't give the forks to England 200 years ago, like you guys did. And we, we just sort of stuck with the monarchy. So um, I, I, I don't think that's not a variable. I think that is definitely a variable in, our, in the culture of Australia and the culture in the US. And so, um, yeah, that, that could be, you know, we can, we, let's chalk it up. Let's hang our hat on that one. Awesome. So it seems like you uh, love improving systems. And it also seems like you kind of used your formal education, but you taught yourself on the job through just being in corporate environments and business, right? It seems like those skills just naturally hone themselves. And now you run your own business using those skills. Yeah, yeah, that's about right. Um, and but I probably had I probably failed catastrophically and charmed my way to keeping my job enough times to to learn big big lessons. <laughs> um, probably the probably the uh, the worst the, the failure that um, sticks out most to me is um, I started doing sales training from the from the cellular phone job in pharmacy. I was like, yeah. Oh. And that's what I sold the business on. I was like, I'm going to do some retail sales training. And then they were like, yeah, okay, cool. And so now I'm training the staff and they're not buying it. (laughs) (laughs) I could tell immediately it was going, they just were not going to do this. They were just doing what they were told and then they were going to throw it away. And so I, I had to think really quickly and be quite agile to find some really high performers that were there. And I, I said, look, if I can find out what these these uh, girls who have been in the business for 30 years, um, who everyone wants to see, everyone, you know, they're the embodiment of the sort of crusade of the business. If I can extract what it is that they do and distribute it to everyone else, we'll have a win. And that's that's kind of what I had to hang my hat on. But yeah, that, that's about it. Yeah, so I love that example. Why don't you tell us, in general, what your services are and what you do for pharmacies. And it seems like you're um, helping pharmacies in the community retail setting. Is that right? Yes, independent community pharmacies. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's the way forward. Um, I, I couldn't get in front of the right people for the other businesses anyway. Um, so the, the, the service that I'm mostly offering in, in the U.S. is... Um, so a lot of businesses, particularly ones who would be interested in shows like yours, um, they want to have those interventions. They want to have more, um, uh, consults with the patients. Um, maybe they're, um, they don't have a lot of, maybe they're not aware of the opportunity that's, that's in front of them. Um, what kind of business they're in, you know, um, some of our information systems don't allow us to see that very well. Maybe their staff are held accountable to the wrong metric. 
Like maybe there's a staff meeting every month and they're like, well, you know, CoQ10 and Omega-3 sales, we haven't picked them up, guys. If you just, you know, if you just made a recommendation with every patient, they yada, yada, yada. Um, so, and, and, and maybe the, the staff don't appreciate being treated as, as salespeople, but the business doesn't have any other way to hold them accountable. Um, so, and, and so you could not know where the opportunity is. You could have the wrong business system. You could not have the awareness of the, of the, of the studies and the, and the training that's out there. You might be, um, you might be, you just don't know how to make that recommendation. You don't know what, what words to use. And so we cover all those things with our American service um, where we, we hold, we help you hold staff accountable to not to making a sale, but to making a recommendation. And if you make your recommendation and that's what you hold your staff accountable to, and you say, look, I don't care if they make a sale, if you make a sale, the, the, the patient buys the product or not, I want them to walk out of here knowing that we care about them we give the best recommendation that we possibly can. And if they choose not to buy it, that is, that is not your position. That's, that's above your pay grade <laughs> because you don't know their finances. And even if you did, you know, you could recommend CoQ10, Omega-3, Magnesium for their SSRI. And then they go outside and buy a packet of cigarettes for $16 or whatever. Right. Cost so you're not in a position to make a financial um, decision for them. And your job ends at the recommendation. And when we can, we can sort of solidify roles and responsibilities, staff feel a lot more comfortable with that. When we can, when we can um, hold them accountable to the correct metric, not to sales, then they're much more comfortable with that. When we can, um, you know, provide really short, like we've, our, our, our voice to training platform provides really short training. Um, on you know making these recommendations for your highest uh your your highest um frequency products might be ssris or um, statins or ppis um and and then you know the first thing we've got to do is identify what opportunities your business has which you know and, and sort them into into numbers as to you know what what business are you in? You know, what, what should we focus on oral contraceptive pills? Maybe, probably not. It's probably less than 1% of your, of your scripts. Probably you're probably in the heart business. You might be in the antibiotics business. We don't know. So um, that's, that's the main services that we offer is like a really, if your business is looking to have the systems and the support in place for, you know, and you're willing to spend six months doing it, um, to change your business forever, then then that's then I'm the guy that you talk to for that. So, is it fair to say that you analyze, you know, where a pharmacy is, you know, their numbers and metrics and their, you know, ROI and KPI, and then you help them basically increase their profit in some way. So it depends on the pharmacy and what they're already doing and who they're serving, their patient population and their prescription metrics, and as well as their OTC metrics. And you help them increase their profit through recommendations and increasing the OTC sales. That's right. Yep. I don't, I don't do a, a big, I don't do a whole lot of business analysis though. 
I'm not looking at all your profits. What I'm looking at is, well, we, we do the scripts, we look at your scripts and where your opportunity is. Mm -hmm. So I've got some, most, most pharmacies don't have the supporting information systems to tell them that um, internationally, because it's not, it's not been the focus of the business. Mm -hmm. Business is pushing out scripts. So if we, so that, that's the first thing, we identify your opportunity in terms of scripts. Then we look at the training. So we set all your staff up with the same training, okay, um, for your opportunity. Let's say it's SR, SSRIs. So we've got, you know, four, four weeks of training to make, you know, to eventually make a verbal recommendation to a patient about, um, you know, uh, magnesium or omega-3 or, um, um, you know, marker for SSRI-induced reduced libido. Um, then... We've got some information systems that we work with the point of sale system to hold, hold, you know, what it, every business is different. So maybe your clerks um, are, are point, pointing staff to uh, patients toward the pharmacist. Maybe the pharmacist needs to engage that uh, interaction. It's different for every business, but we've, we, uh, here we've got one here. Mm -hmm. I made this fantastic new innovation in technology called a post-it note. <laughs> with a barcode where um, it just, it, it sort of leverages that intimacy between the pharmacist and the patient with, with a little handwritten note. It's, it's nothing special, but your handwriting is yours and it's, and it's intimate and it's special. And we're kind of missing that in business a lot these days. So you, you make the recommendation, the pharmacist makes the recommendation and then it gets scanned by, by the clerk. And then we can look at the end of the week Okay, we've done all these things, guys. At the end of the week, we know we've got this many, this many um, consults or this many scans and this many scripts for SSRIs. So we're trying to work that up. What can we do better? Um, how can we move forward? And then I will coach the business owner to doing that. I'll hold them accountable every week to, are you doing it? What's the problem? Can I help? What do you need? Because I, I want this to be a part of your business. Uh, if we are to make a dent in chronic disease, I want this to be a long-term thing instead of just something we tried sometime, which yeah. happens a lot, happens a lot in business. Yeah. Yeah. Accountability is huge. So that's a really important component that some trainings or programs or coaching uh, maybe you could miss, right? But it's so important that it requires a bit of a time commitment and a back and forth in order to for the implementations to be sustainable. Yeah, and I think I think we're all looking for the the secret button, the secret switch, the magic pill. Um, yep. and it's just not there, right? It's going to take some work and it's going to take some intelligence that you just don't have right now. Um, I found internationally pharmacists are not terribly comfortable with confrontation or being overly assertive um and uh, they are when it comes to like uh sort of health protocols government protocols but when it comes to your business goals um when it comes to being a i guess a little more aggressive in attacking health or um you know being preventative right then they, they kind of, okay, we tried it, it didn't work. Uh, whereas if it was implemented by the government, hey, you've got to make this recommendation every time, pharmacists would do it every single time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but when it comes to their own 
uh, goals, they oh, don't want to rock the boat kind of thing. So I try and help pharmacists move that needle a little bit, um, at least to, to reach their goals. And then we can help, you know, in other areas of their life and being more assertive um, and not, you know, I, I feel bad saying assertive because some folks hear assertive and they think aggressive. It's right. just not passive, right? Like right. You need to say what you want. And when you do that, um, it invites your team and, and the culture around you to do the same. And it, it's a really healthy and good thing, especially when the, when the sort of ethics and the morals of pharmacy are taken into account. Yeah, assertiveness is a crucial business and personal skill. So, you know, you're doing them a favor to develop that and hone that in. Um, and the fact is that you're right. If the initiative is theirs, um, they need that accountability from somewhere. If it doesn't come from the government, uh, you know, it's it's difficult to hold yourself accountable. It's nice to have a partner or a coach or somebody that's helping you um, with keeping that up. If it's not, you know, a legal requirement or not a government stipulation or some other thing that already, like we have to follow so many rules. So yeah. to add another thing to, to our plate is difficult, but if it's serving our patients and serving our business, um, it's a good idea to implement it. Right, right. And I, yeah, you, there's so many examples I could think over the years of businesses like locally here. I met a guy at the store. His name is Jeff. I won't tell you his last name. I said, how are you doing, man? I hadn't been in the country for a few years. I said, how are you doing? He said, I've had five heart attacks. His wife is the pharmacist. Wow. Says, oh, my God. Are you taking CoQ10 or are you doing it? No, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> It's like, wow, oh, no. <laughs> she might be trying to off you, mate. I check your insurance. So, <laughs> so there's oh, just it, if the, I read studies all day, you know, I have to do the training, the awareness part of, you know, making recommendations is you're not making a recommendation because you feel like it or because you think it's it might be a nice thing to do. You're, you're making the recommendation because you've read studies and you've seen studies that support this recommendation there's right. actual data behind it <clears throat> so i read these studies and you look at the cohort and you look at the size and you're like my god that's a community like that is that pharmacist community and if they if if the pharmacist made that recommendation and only 50 percent of the people took it up then you'd reduce upper respiratory tract infections or you you'd reduce the reliance on ssris or or statins or whatever and I know pharmacists' hearts are in that in that deprescribing direction anyway. Yes. So there's just a there's just a couple things that that need to like sort of meet up. And it is some of it's intelligence of the pharmacist, that assertiveness or confrontational, and some of it is the business systems themselves, which do not support the direction that you're trying to go. And we're trying to be that guy in, right right there in the middle that's that's putting all those things together. Yes. Yeah, so it seems like the key to, you know, what you help with is making quick and effective recommendations to address the drug depletions um, and side effects of the drugs that you're already dispensing in that pharmacy. So in order for the side effects and the depletion to be addressed, 
uh, and not go unchecked, you're supplementing that with something that you can could be a simple inter intervention of taking a supplement or a vitamin, uh, which will also in turn boost your business sales. So it's kind of like a win-win. You're addressing the patient's health, rounding out the drug therapy, which could have potential concerns or toxicities, uh, and that you're serving the patient's health. And also, if they do take you up on the recommendation, you're making an extra sale, which is nice. Yeah, and I, I think that whether they make the sale or not, um, that, that's a really hard one, especially if, like my, uh, I cut my teeth in sales in North Minneapolis. It's, a, it's not the roughest area in the country, but it, especially now it's, it's pretty rough. Um, but I did door-to-door -door business sales. And so I, I was selling telecom. I still remember my opening pitch. Hi, my name's Tyson with Press Communications. I'm supposed to introduce myself with personal handles telecom. That's you, right? So I had to do that to 50 businesses a day. And you develop some really thick skin um, because a lot of people say, get out of here, kid. Well, pharmacists, given that, you know, a lot of them spent their childhood days with their nose in a book, um, because that's what you're good at, right? When you've got a nail, a hammer, everything starts to look like a nail. Pharmacists are really good at factual data recollection. And so they're, they're, they're really good at reading, but not so used to not being an authority and not, not being listened to. Um, so the, this, this, you just don't have the ability to have this, the thick skin as a door-to-door -door sales rep would. Um, you're also much more reliable piece of reliable source of information than the door-to-door -door sales rep. So you don't want to throw the baby out in the bathwater in that direction. Some some consultants in Australia want to turn pharmacists into salespeople, and I'm like, that's that's a giant problem because they're you know pharmacists are one of the most trusted professionals that that we have, um, and and as well as the one of the most frequented. So you know. Um, Pharmacists are not, your position is not prone to, to having thick skin. And so when you make a recommendation and people say no, or they don't want it, then you can give up because oh, they're probably not going to take it anyway. That's what's going to go on in your head. And there's that pain of rejection. So it's, it's a difficult thing. That's why the roles and responsibilities that I talked about earlier is like, it's not your job to sell them anything. I wouldn't want you to risk the high level of trust and, and, and uh, sincerity um, that you've established over decades uh, with your relationship with your patient, with the relationship between the, you know, the, the patients and the industry. There's a lot of trust there and I wouldn't jeopardize that for anything in the world, but you've got to be able to make the recommendation if it helps the patient and you've got to be able to draw the line so it doesn't hurt you emotionally. Um, and that's why that roles and responsibilities thing is, is quite important to get through people's heads. Yeah, that's a good point. So do you recommend particular companies that or products that company that the pharmacy should carry? Do you kind of go into research behind quality and things like that? Um, and then secondly, do you also train on longer form consults and other things like lifestyle changes and other things people can implement? So I don't know. I don't lean towards any one company. Um, I've thought about it. 
I thought about supplying my own products and getting them made so that, because you can do that these days. Yeah. But I, I don't know. It might be something that I'll do. I prefer not to because I just sort of, I don't have the biggest business in the world and I'm not trying to make it that. Um, I'd rather, much rather keep it more intimate with, with businesses that really want to move in this direction. Um, so no, I don't, I don't have a specific brand that I recommend. And I, I think pharmacists are better qualified to make that decision than I am anyway. Um, when it comes to um, the long form, so Australian pharmacy is very different. Um, um, we, we uh, the front of shop handles health interventions, like the folks who handle the, the inventory, mm-hmm. they handle, they'll hand, they'll have um, sort of health interventions with, with patients. Um, now they've got to follow, they're very strict on what protocol, what they can do, what they can't do. They're very often referring to a pharmacist, but some folks have been around the industry for 20, 30 years. They know some stuff, right? They, they know some really low risk interventions that are going to help you. Um, so with my, my first sort of foray into pharmacy was finding out what made those high performers perform highly. And we came up with a uh, four quadrant matrix. They always recommended a short-term solution, a long-term solution, a treatment, a pharmaceutical grade treatment and a prevention. Love it. So, um, yeah, that, that was what the high performers did. And so at Voiced, uh, the speech operated platform that we have, that was solely around that, and that increased basket size pretty, pretty reliably by 15%. Um, but when it comes to drug-induced nutrient depletion training that we're doing here, um, we, we try and focus on two or three high, F, like high efficacy recommendations as well as diet um, and lifestyle. And in talking to some really high, you know, really um, high-performance pharmacists, they're kind of doing that anyway. Um, and they've got their own way of wording things. So, um, yep, absolutely focusing on, on diet as gently as possible. Um, and I'm glad I'm not the guy, I'm, the, I'm not the guy doing it because it, it can be real sensitive. And I, I don't always have those. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, it sounds like a really well-rounded service and package that you're offering and that could benefit, you know, lots of people and mutually benefit the pharmacies. So I love what you've created and I want to thank you so much for being on the show and telling us about your journey. And if you just have one or two minutes left, we could do a rapid fire round, just like two or three more questions. Sure. Awesome. So I like to ask this of uh, health professionals on the show, but seeing as you follow up on your studies, I'd love to um, ask you your advice as well. So what is the number one thing you would advise people to do to improve their quality of life right now? Right now? Yes. Turn off their bloody phone. (laughs) Because I think stress is massive and turn off the news, stop watching Facebook, get off it. It's hard, but do it. It's good for you, I promise. Love it, love it. Okay, number two, what's your favorite hobby or pastime? I 
coach kids to start their own business in in my town here and uh it's nice to shop around town and i saw some chocolate suckers that i helped the kid start his business in town and um now i'm a corporate i, I love cultural change I'm, I'm not kidding i really do i've got a i'm going to start a, a video game arcade too to get kids out and doing things and then i'll I'll trick them into starting their own businesses at the same time. Awesome. That sounds amazing. Uh, what a great community service. And number three, uh, what is your mission? Um, I would like to write a blueprint for changing your, changing your culture, regardless of whether it's pharmacy or a small town, a basketball team, um, I would like to leave behind some sort of document that demonstrated, you know, how to how to how to move your community forward. Love it, love it. So finally, can you share with us, Tyson, how people can learn more about you, get in touch with you, get introduced, or learn more about the services? Yes, um, I. I just bought trainpharmacy.com. So you can look at our website at trainpharmacy.com and get a hold of us at, at admin at trainpharmacy.com. That's our that's our email. Um, look looking for you know businesses that are trying to head in the direction that that we are. They want to help their community, they want to you know increase their their um, profitability in terms of making recommendations, and they care about the impact that that pharmacy can make on the long-term health of their community. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. And again, thank you for what you're doing and how you're serving pharmacies and communities. And um, I will have all that information to contact you in the show notes. So I look forward to connecting in the future and um, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you so much, Marina. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Holistic Pharmacy Podcast. I truly hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed creating it. If you learned something new from it, I'd love if you could leave us a five-star review and share it with a friend who might love it too. You can find me on any of the podcast and social media platforms by looking up Holistic Pharmacist or Dr. Marina Booksov. Thank you for your support and see you next time.